Well, uh, last week, uh, I talked about the fact that Christmas can be weird. And the reason is, is because Christmas, maybe more than any other holiday, can make your highs higher and your lows even lower. Over the past couple of months, I've been able to go to the hospital to be with a couple of new parents who have uh, a new baby. And I was able to go and to visit with them, and they were so excited, and there was so much joy, and we were able to celebrate these two infants and uh, how beautiful they are. And both of the parents have shared with me uh, their excitement of actually being able to celebrate Christmas for the first time with the Christmas tree and the sounds of the baby and all of that. And they are so pumped for this Christmas. But then I've heard of other people who at times uh, have shared that, you know what, this is going to be the most difficult Christmas that I've had for a very, very long time. I was talking to one of our friends who, after 15 years of marriage, is going to be divorced this Christmas for the first time. And she'll have to go through that challenge of what does it look like to actually um, have this relationship no longer there? And how does it look different? And what does Christmas look like? And sharing kids and all of that. And it's going to be a different time. I talked to a couple other of our friends uh, whose teenage son has just really rebelled since Thanksgiving, kind of gone off the handle, started experimenting with drugs. They found he's been sexually promiscuous in different ways. And all of this is hitting them right at Christmas. And it's going to be a very, very different experience as they go into Christmas this year. I think of a couple of friends of ours who uh, are a part of our small group, Jay and Leanne. Several months ago, they were so excited, looking forward to being grandparents for the very first time. They had looked forward to this little girl that was going to come into their life named Baby Jenny. And over a horrible circumstances that came, Baby Jenny was born asleep. And she died as a stillborn, and they had to go through all of that process. And this Christmas, with gifts that they had bought and ways that they thought, it's going to be very, very different. I mean, the truth is, just a few months ago, they were looking so forward to what this Christmas was going to look like. And then, just like that, everything kind of changed, and it's going to be a different kind of Christmas. Folks, I don't know what it is that you're going through, but this is what I do know. That whatever you're facing, God gets it. God really gets it. He understands. He has unlimited love to pour into your life whatever challenge you're experiencing this Christmas. Now, last Sunday, as we looked at uh, this concept of a weird Christmas, we looked at Jesus's father, his earthly father, uh, Joseph. And we said that for Joseph, what was weird was it was so difficult, but he had to keep his head in all things. And today, what we want to do is talk about his counterpart, uh, his wife, Mary, Jesus's mom. Now, as the story begins, uh, Mary, most scholars believe, is somewhere around 14 or 15 years old. And 
Her whole world gets turned upside down when out of nowhere, an angel of the Lord comes to her, and this is what he says. Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. You might want to circle those last few words. The Lord is with you. That's the number one promise that's in scripture. More than resurrected life or anything else. It is that no matter what you're going through, the Lord is with you. In fact, for those of you on the stream, you can just type it in right now. The Lord is with you. And for those of you in the auditorium right now, look to the person beside you and just tell them the Lord is with you. Go ahead. Tell them real quick. Then the scripture goes on to say this, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel of the Lord said her, said to her, do not be what? What's it say? Afraid. afraid. Don't be afraid. Tell the person beside you again. Tell them, do not be afraid. Go ahead, tell them. Yeah, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now, this text tells us that, that Mary was greatly troubled by these words. Now, why was she greatly troubled? Well, partly because she was going to deliver the son of God. Aren't you excited about that if you're a mom? Like, I'm not just going to deliver any kid. God's actually asked me now to deliver his kid. No pressure, right, moms? Like, if you've ever gone through that experience before, there's pressure enough. But now it's not just like you're delivering any baby, but you are delivering the Savior of the entire world. No pressure for a teenager. Also, maybe even more so, she's troubled because she's not so sure about all the mechanics of how this is going to work. In fact, she timidly kind of asked the angel in verse 34, she goes, uh, how will this be? Like, how is this whole thing going to happen since I'm a virgin? I mean, how's it going to work? I mean, if she's 14 years old, 15, she hasn't even taken biology 101 right now. But the truth is, she's kind of learned from some of her other older friends that, like, this is the way that it works. And she's like, well, you know, Joseph and I, we haven't really done that yet. And we're not so sure. And, like, what's going to happen? And, and we just don't understand. I just don't understand how this thing is going to work. And she questions God's messenger. You know, sometimes people will come up to me and they'll ask, is it okay to ever question God? And all I know is to tell you, well, when you look at Mary's story, what you find is that she questioned him. She's like, how is this going to happen? How is this whole thing going to work? So through the angel, God gives Mary this assurance in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Don't be troubled. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Don't worry about having to break your covenant with, you know, Joseph. Everything's going to work out. You'll be able to live a life that is truly sexually pure before you and Joseph uh, come together. The baby is going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
And then the angel waits and waits and waits and finally kind of says, uh, Mary, girlfriend, like, are you in or are you out? Are you going to be a part of this thing or are you choosing not to? And then Mary gives these incredible words in verse 38. She says this, I am the Lord's servant. This 14 or 15-year-old girl just had this incredible news given to her. She is troubled. All of heaven is waiting for her response. And she says, absolutely. I'm in. I'm in. I'm ready to do this thing. Whatever the Lord asked me to do, I'm willing to do it. I'll obey him, no worries. And then it goes on to say, may it be as you have said. And this kind of leads us to our big idea this morning. This is your first fill-in for those of you that are on the stream. And it's this. What do we learn from Mary's life? We learned this. We learned the biggest thing is, I am the Lord's servant. That's what Mary took on. As God came to her, she said, you know what? I am the Lord's servant. But the question really is not so much about Mary today, but it's about the person who is sitting in your chair right now, or for those of you that are on the stream sitting right now, are you the Lord's servant? When you walk through your day, do you walk through your day in such a way that you would say, I am the Lord's servant? Well, the truth is, is that that's the way Mary lived her life. She walked through each day saying, you know what? I am the Lord's servant. Use me however you decide. You know, sometimes I wonder what would happen in the life of the jar if every single time God prompted us, every single time God spoke to us, every time we heard something, we just simply responded like Mary did and said, yes, I am the Lord's servant. Whatever you ask me to do, I'll do. Where you tell me to go, I'll go. It's not about God getting on my program. It's about me getting on God's program. So God, whatever you ask me to do, I am your servant. Can you imagine between now and Christmas Day, if each time that we were prompted or asked to encourage another person, we just said, whoever it is, however you want me to do it, I am your servant. Use me, God. Whatever you ask me to do, I will not slink back into the shadows. I will go to the forward to share your love to whoever it is. Instead of brushing God off and saying, you know, no, uh, God, I'm too busy. I've got a lot of stuff going. I don't have time to make that call or that word of encouragement or that invitation. That we actually said, no, 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 no. I am the Lord's servant. I will do whatever it is God asks me to do. You know, uh, many of you right now probably have names of people in your life that you desire to have a closer relationship with God. There's coworkers, there's neighbors, there's friends, there's family members. Your greatest desire is that they would do that. And you have an opportunity to actually give an invitation for them to come on Christmas Eve. It doesn't take a lot, but it takes enough for you to make that investment of time. And so what would happen if all of us said, God, if you'll give a name to me, whoever it is, 
I will go ahead and I will invite. I will say, God, I am simply your servant. I will give the invitation. And you are not responsible for what their response is, but you are responsible to give the invite. And just imagine what God could do if every single one of us took this so seriously that throughout the next two weeks, if you give me a name, if there's a person I meet and you want me to do that, I'll encourage them. I'll give them an invitation. So Mary just simply says, Lord, I am your servant. And then you're not going to believe what Mary did next. It's a part of scripture that quite honestly, many times when people look at it, they just kind of fast forward because there's a lot of words. But you know what she did? She wrote a worship song. God gives her this incredible kind of news and she's not so sure and she's troubled. But in the midst of it, this teenager has the mindset to think, I'm going to actually worship God in the midst of this. And today in churches throughout the world, they will use this regularly. Almost every single Sunday, they will use this song. It's called the Magnificat. And this is how it goes. Again, this is written by a 14 or 15-year-old girl. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. What she's saying is, I know I'm a nobody. I know I am from nowhere. I'm just from like a, a little hick cow town. But God has chosen me. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. She's like, I'm from the younger generation. I am in a younger generation, and yet God has chosen me. He has performed mighty deeds. He has filled my, he has filled the hungry with good things. And it goes on and on and on. And she allowed worship into her mind and it changed her life. Several weeks ago when I was working on this teaching, I just got this prompting, kind of a challenge from God that Chris You've been listening to a lot of things on the radio when you're driving in the car. I want you to just worship me. And so when December 1st came, I made a commitment from December 1st to the 25th. Every time that I'm in the car by myself, I will not listen to sports talk radio. I love sports talk radio. I will not listen to the news. I love listening to the news. But what I've done since December 1st, every single day, and I'll do it all the way up through Christmas, is I have picked two Christmas worship CDs. That's right. That's how old I am. My car still has CDs. Okay? And I've picked two of them. One is Glory to God in the Highest by Chris Tomlin, and the other one is North Point Worship. And whenever I'm driving over these past 10 days, I have just listened to both of these time and time again. And you know what's happened to my life? My head actually is so much more joy-filled. I don't walk through my life feeling overwhelmed these past 10 days because I'm worshiping God. And there's a peace that has come to me because I know when I get in the car, I don't have to freak out about everything that's going to happen, whatever it is next. I'm going to have a moment where I worship and praise God. And I'm telling you folks, it has been worth everything for me to make that decision. 
And maybe for some of you, what you need to do today is you need to take a similar challenge. That between now until Christmas, you know what? When I'm in the car, rather than having my mind absorbed by everything, I'm going to direct my mind in such a way that I am going to worship God within this Christmas season. Well, shortly after the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verse 39, we read this. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law, what did that include? That included that they took Jesus to have him dedicated. They took him to have him circumcised. They actually sacrificed offering and and animals to God to honor him in the midst of this. They did all of the Jewish rituals. And they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And then verse 40 says, And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Folks, this is what I want you to know today. Mary was a great mom. She was an amazing mom. Why does the Catholic Church lift Mary up so much? Because of the amazement of her being a mom. And I just want to say sincerely that of those moms who are here today, I was thinking to myself, some of the the greatest moms I know are moms here at the jar. I am able to celebrate you today because of what I've seen happen within your world. How do I know what's happening in your world? Because I talk to your kids regularly. I'm at their level. I'm like, how are you doing? And and regularly there's this sense of like, you know what? I love God and I want to love other people. And when I go to middle school or high school or jar kids, they're always there kind of saying, yeah, yeah, I'm loved. And that didn't come out of nowhere. That came out of a mom who was praying, who is building them up, who's encouraging them, who's speaking into their life. In fact, I thought, you know, the problem with Mother's Day is for most guys, they're like, well, we'll do it one time and then I'm out. And the truth is we should honor our moms regularly. They're such a gift to us. And so I'd like you to join me right now in thanking all of the JAR moms. So let's give them a hand and thank them. Your investment in kids changes the world. It really does. There's nothing like a mom. Now, when Jesus becomes older, what typically happens with our relationships is when a child becomes an adult, the parent might say, well, you know, my time's over. I'm going to back off a little bit. I'm not going to stay as connected. But that's not the way Mary was. Mary stayed connected with Jesus throughout his life. In fact, there's a story that's told in uh, John chapter 2, you can read it this week if you'd like to, in which uh, they are invited to a wedding, and Jesus and his mom go to this wedding, and the most embarrassing thing happens. What happens is that they run out of wine, and the hosts can't do anything about it, and they're freaking out, and all of a sudden, Mary goes into mom mode. She's like, we're going to fix this thing. She starts looking around. She's like, Jesus, where are you? Jesus, fix the problem. 
And the text says that there were some servants that were standing by these six water pots that were used for washing of hands. They had about a hundred gallons of water or so in them. And then she goes over to the servants and she whispers to them. She goes, hey, get ready. My son's going to do a miracle right now. I don't know what he's going to do, but get ready. This party is going to get started. And all of a sudden, she looks, she's like, Jesus, fix the problem. And Jesus is like, all right, because you know what they say. If mama ain't happy, what? Ain't nobody happy. And Jesus understood that. And he's like, all right. And he turns the water, that's 100 gallons times potentially six, 600 gallons of water into wine. And all of a sudden, the party starts flowing. And the wine's flowing and everyone's celebrating. And she's looking at her son and she's so excited. And I just have this thought in my mind that later on that night, you know, when everything's going well, I'm sure Jesus, you know, was a funny guy. So he may have went up to his mom. He may have said something like this. You want breakfast in bed in the morning too, mom? You know, like what else do you want me to do? And she was a part of him. Now, folks, I bring this up because the reality is, is sometimes when we read scripture or we see Jesus's life, we forget about his human side, about his developmental years. Sometimes I talk to people who say, well, Jesus can't just understand me because he was never really a part of a family. Yes, he was. He had a mom. He had a dad. Did you know he had many brothers and sisters? He had aunts, he had uncles, he had cousins, he had grandparents. All of these people were around him. And Jesus had weird Christmases sometimes. And Jesus had this family. And he was with this family for 30 years. It wasn't until the last three years of his life that he really focused on these 12 men that became his best friends. So don't you ever think that Jesus doesn't understand the daily grind of what it is to be a family. The errands that have to be done, the dishes that have to be washed, the laundry that has to be cleaned, the trash that has to be taken out. Jesus understands all of those situations that sometimes create challenges for you and for me. Now let's let's, uh, go ahead and fast forward to the end of his life. Jesus is arrested and he is convicted of a crime that he didn't commit. And all of his friends that he had spent the last three years with start thinking to themselves, you know what? Whatever is going to happen to him, and they had said he's going to be crucified, it might happen to us. And so they all run away. They all get away from him. They abandon him. They desert him. They deny him at his greatest hour of need. And I just want to ask you this morning, are there occasionally times in your life where when you're in a work situation or you're around friends or family or people that don't know Christ, that you just kind of slink back into the shadows. You kind of deny that actually, you know what, he's very, very important to me. He's the one that I've given my life to. And you just kind of slink back a little bit and you don't share your faith to the people around you. You know, uh, growing up as a, preacher's kid, there was uh, so many times in my life where 
I would slink back into the shadows. I didn't want anyone to know what my dad did. I didn't want them to know that he was a pastor. And because of that, I really didn't share my faith. It's something that, you know, I'm not happy about at all, but it's the truth. And as I started thinking about it a little bit more, I wasn't really an inviter of people either growing up as a kid and as a teenager. I just didn't invite people to church. That wasn't me. Well, my two daughters are like so far ahead of me in this area, it's unreal. They express their faith regularly all the time to people. Uh, My oldest daughter, Jordan, she actually gets up early on Fridays and she goes to her high school and she prays uh, for every room with a group of friends and they pass out donuts. They call it sweets and salvation. And they just go around, they do this. I don't have to argue with her. She gets excited about it and she does it. My youngest daughter, Shiloh, uh, is the point leader of her FCA, and she gets up early with her sister, and they go off. Believe me, it's a lot better now that Jordan can drive, okay? I'm just saying. Uh, My wife never complained. You know, I'm supposed to be spiritual. I complained. But anyways, they both are not afraid. They're not worried. They share their faith very regularly and often. They are so far ahead of me at that age, it's not even close. But the truth is, sometimes, folks, I still feel very awkward sharing my faith. One of the things that happens when you're a pastor is that many times you're invited to different community events or dinners. And when I'm invited to those, regularly they'll put you in these circle tables, and then they'll say, hey, what we'd like you to do is go around, share your name, and then tell everybody what you do. And every time that happens, I feel kind of awkward and not so sure what to say or what that's going to look like. And uh, people will start doing that. And they'll say their name and they'll go, I'm an accountant. Another person will say, well, I own my own business. Another person will say, well, you know, what I do is I'm a teacher in the school. And then it finally gets to me. And you would think someone who does public speaking for his life would be able to do something. And I've done this several times. They're like, okay, you're next. And I'll be like, ah, uh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, I'm a Bible teacher. Uh, my boss actually lived like 2,000 years ago, and he was a carpenter, and uh, aren't I cool? <laughs> somebody like me, please, somebody around the table. And then I'm always so concerned about the way that I come across and what I say and how I say it, and does it engage enough with the people to where they're like, okay, I would be open to hearing from him, to be connected to him. But there are many times that I just feel awkward about it. Do you ever feel that way? You ever feel awkward about sharing your faith? You ever feel awkward about inviting someone, whether it's a friend, family member, neighbor, somebody to come and to participate? Are you ever in social settings where you kind of feel a temptation to downplay your faith with Christ. Folks, this time of year, more than any other, you are going to have multiple opportunities. There will be multiple opportunities for you to be able to invite, to share, to express what Christ means to you. Many of you, if you haven't had them already, will be having Christmas parties with coworkers, and there'll be an opportunity when they'll ask you, like, what are you doing this Christmas, and what are you going to do? Will you slink back or you say, you know, actually, our family goes to this church called The Jar, and, and we're going on Christmas Eve, and we're going to celebrate that, or will you slink back?
For others of you, you'll be at your kids' events and there'll be people there and you'll have opportunities to do that. And what will that look like? Will you take the time to actually say, you know what? There's a neighbor, there's a coworker, there's somebody. They are worth everything from heaven to invite. And the question is, will you step up? Will you take that risk? Again, with this card, could you take this? Put some cookies with it, put a gift card from Starbucks with it, and go to somebody, a neighbor, someone, and say, hey, I want to invite you uh, to come. Just said, you know, it's great to be your friend. It's great to be connected to you. Or will you take this Christmas off and say, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm so busy. I got so many things. Well, I think Mary played it right. I think she played it absolutely right. She was willing to honor Jesus enough to risk her own life. John 19 verse 25 tells us this about the crucifixion. Think about this. Near the cross of Jesus Christ stood who? Mary, his mother. You see, folks, Mary didn't fade away when the going got tough. She didn't slink back into the shadows. She said, I will stand in the shadow of the cross. And then she looked up and she saw the baby that she had birthed now breathe his last breath. And it was a horrible, horrible way to die. And she stood the entire time when everyone else abandoned. They all walked away. They left him alone and she was there and she was encouraging him. And I can just imagine giving words of love and comfort. I'm here for your son. I'm here for you. What do you need? I'm praying for you. You're going to make it through. And all of this from a mom's heart reaching out to him. And I think it meant a lot to Jesus. I really do. I think it meant the world to him. And folks, this is what I need you to know. It still means a lot to Jesus today. Every single time that you express that you know him, that you love him, that you're loyal to him, that you have courage to stand up and to let other people know, yeah, he's changed my life. He literally has changed my life. Well, Mary was rock solid. She stood at the foot of the cross and she watched her son, the one again that she had given birth to, swaddled, had nursed, die this horrible death. And Mary stood there the entire time because she was an incredible woman. And she challenges me. I don't know about you, but she challenges me to want to live a life where I'm willing to say, I am your servant, Lord. Use me, however. And 2,000 years later, you and I are sitting here today worshiping, celebrating God because of what Mary did. I am the Lord's servant. I'm willing to do what you say, God. And it's quite a legacy that she left for us. You know, in our culture today, unfortunately, there are young teenage girls that are regularly being challenged to kind of know who is the role models in my life? Who am I supposed to follow? And often it's, it's girls that are, you know, kind of airbrushed or they're pencil thin. And there's all of this pressure to act. And many times what happens within their life, they'll, they'll fall into drugs or they'll be in rehab or other things. And, and it's difficult, it's confusing for our young teenage girls to know who to follow. And you know, it makes me wonder sometimes, 
that I wish that what parents would do is actually read Mary's story enough that they would pull their girls aside and they would say, here's one that you should follow. This is a teenage girl. And that they would learn her values, her faith, her vision. This extraordinary woman. And as I started thinking about Mary, I was reminded of all of the amazing role models of women that we have here in the jar. Women that our girls can look up to. I mean, we have some amazing women. We have amazing women on staff, Ellie, Josie, Emily. We have amazing women who kind of oversee entire ministry areas, who are leaders, who are teachers. It's amazing the amount of investment that women make in this church to impact other people's lives. And I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that invests in women in ministry. Several years ago, I was driving in the car with my youngest daughter, Shiloh, and I looked in the back seat, and Shy was there, and she's about five years old at this time. And I looked in the rearview mirror, and she goes, Dad, I got a question for you. And I said, okay, what's your question? She goes, Daddy, can girls be pastors? She couldn't say ours. And I said, well, yeah, absolutely. Girls can be pastors. And then she said this. I'll never forget it. She goes, Daddy, I'm going to be a pastor, and I might even lead the jar sometime. Folks, I'm so grateful to be a part of a church where I could raise my girls, letting them know they could be anything they wanted to be in the church. They could teach, they could lead, they could use any of the gifts that God had given to them to use in honor and glory of God. So let me say it again. I'm so proud of the women who are in this church, who give of their time, their energy, their sacrifice. For those of you that are mothers, who give of their time to invest in their kids. And it's because of your generosity that really does impact this church in incredible ways. So this is how we're going to close today. I want to give all of us a moment right now to just connect with God. That in the midst of the hustle and bustle, getting ready for Christmas, that you could pause, pull back, and just ask God to encourage you, maybe to speak to you. And then Caleb and the band are going to lead us in a song about surrendering to God, to be able to say, God, I am your servant. Speak to me. Use me. So if you feel comfortable right now, what I'd like you to do is just to bow your head for a moment, to uh, close your eyes, and just quietly say, God, I am your servant. Speak to me. Use me. And I'll ask you to take a moment to do that now as we turn down the lights and give you a moment just between you and God.
Drench my soul in mercy and grace. I wanna 